It is so good to see you this morning. Uh, it's always to good together with the family of God to see your faces and, and know that, that, that we share a common faith uh, in a God and we're here to worship him and worship his son, Jesus Christ. I'm glad to see you showed up this morning. I don't know how many people knew I was going to be up here, but I'm glad you came anyway. Uh, and I appreciate that. You know, the, the bar has been set, as, as uh, Brent mentioned, the bar has been set very high over the last several weeks. Uh, we've had some excellent speakers filling in. I've had the opportunity to, to, to hear some of the young men that grew up in this congregation uh, and the fine speakers they grew, into, uh, grew to be. And uh, so that bar is high, and, and, and it's going to get probably higher, hopefully, with people that follow me. So, so we're, we, as we follow and as, as we study God's Word, this morning in the few minutes that we have together, I want to share a, lo share a love story, is what I consider to be a love story, really began with the beginning of time and runs through today. That's a lot of history to cover. Don't worry, I've got it narrowed down to about two hours. Um, it, it's a lot of history with a central message, a, a message of love. Our title for our lesson this morning, that, that our Redeemer lives, my Redeemer lives, comes from Job. Job, as he was being ridiculed, uh, tested by the so-called so friends uh, that were gathered to talk to him about the predicament he was in, says that in his response to them, says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that's the message that I want to carry through history and talk about a few minutes this morning something that strengthens our faith, something that we can carry with us each and every day of our lives, something that will help us on our walk as we strive to, to, to follow God and, and the example that Jesus set for us. As our reading this morning came from, from chapter 11 in Hebrews, let's mention and think just a few moments there. It says there, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions, uh, conviction of things not seen. We base our faith on what we read and what we hear uh, and, and see in, in, in this book, the, the message in this book. The writer here goes on to tell us examples of people that, that believed in God. Some of them, promises that were given to them, they would never see. It wouldn't be in their lifetime. But they believed and they followed and they did what God, God commanded. And we're in that situation this morning, you and I, in the situation that, that we have promises we have promises from our God this morning of, of the reward that we stand to, to achieve if we are his child, if we strive to follow his commandments. And that's what we, we want to look at that love story. 
Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Of course, our first foundation of faith is our belief in God's creation, that God created what we see around us. Unfortunately, this year, uh, it seemed like our, our changing of the colors occurred late in the year, and it didn't last very long. But for the short time that it was here, we saw God's magnificence. We, we almost, I think sometimes when I look out at all the trees and you're in a forest and all the colors, uh, no one could have painted a more beautiful picture than God as he created this world. It's hard to imagine the mind of God and, and, and his abilities. But when you think about all the different colors, when you think about all the types of trees and different trees that, that have different shapes of leaves, I still re remember that leaf collection back in biology many, many years ago, trying to, to, to identify those leaves. God was a great creator. We praise him for that. But he sends, a he sends us a message of love even from the beginning. And we need, as, as Christians, to focus on that love. That's the pattern that we must follow if we're going to be pleasing to him. If we're going to, to receive the reward that, that, he is going to, uh, that he is going to give to us. The story of love builds. It starts, of course, in the Garden of Eden. Man had paradise, perfection, no better place. But as the case, unfortunately, mankind messed up. He sinned, and we all sin. Each and every one of us here today uh, are, are sinners. We make mistakes. We miss the mark. And, and so did Adam and Eve. But almost from the beginning, when we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, almost from the beginning, God is painting the picture of how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, and gives us a way out, even though we messed up. We see the promise that, that, that to Satan that there was coming a person that, would, that Satan the serpent would bruise the heel, but he would bruise his head. And we know from our studies that, 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 that this was the Christ, the Savior of the world that, that was, was being predict, predicted. All through the Old Testament, you see uh, this, this plan and this, this, this arrangement of things. Uh, 2 Samuel, which we just completed studying in, in, in the auditorium. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God agrees to a covenant with David. That covenant was going to be that through his lineage, God's kingdom would live eternally. 
God keeps his promises. We know that. God loves us, and he's got the plan. And it's going to come through the lineage of David. Daniel has the opportunity when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel has the opportunity to, to interpret that dream and, and, and tell him of the, of the statue, the giant statue, and, and the different parts of that, of that statue that represented different nations that would come into existence, different ruling powers for the world. And it went right down the list through history culminating in the huge stone that was hewed without hands that rolled down that hill and destroyed that huge image. All of this signifying that God had a plan for a people that he loved and he was going to keep that promise. These are the things we build our faith on that we take as we go out into the world. You know, you have to have strong faith to go out into the world today. Satan's doing his best to try to put all kinds of barriers out there for us. But you have to have strong faith, strong trust, just like we read about through Abraham a few minutes ago. Abraham did everything he did hoping for the future. So we see the, the, the prophecy coming through. Finally, if we turn to, uh, to Luke chapter 2, we see the, the announcement of, uh, of, uh, of the events coming that God had planned for Starting in uh, Luke chapter 2 and, and verse 8. And in, in, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The shepherds were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were guarding their flocks. David tells us he battled bears and lions. Uh, taking care of his flock. So there was animals, wild animals, that would take the sheep. Isn't it interesting that it will follow through Christ's teaching that he refers to himself as the great shepherd in his care for us, his, his children. And he, the, the angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were, afraid, were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, the pe for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you and for you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
we see God's plan make its appearance. Not with a great deal of fanfare, just a few shepherds on a hill watching their sheep. A humble beginning for our Savior, our Redeemer. Humble beginning. We have a few little things told us about his early childhood life, not a great deal. Then the Gospels take us and tell us about his ministry and what a ministry it was. People much smarter than I have taken and tried to see what kind of glimpse we have of Jesus' life. Many say there is as few as 20 days, the events of 20 days of Jesus' life recorded. Some, a higher figure, maybe 40. But we're very limited even in what we know. Yet we learn about him. Yet we learn about his love, his care about us, his willingness to do whatever it took. We saw him heal people. We saw him raise the dead. We keep in mind, though, that, that Lazarus died again. The widow's son died again and was buried. But we saw him heal all manner of diseases, all kinds of things uh, that he could do. He taught us about God. He taught us about our relationship, where our trust should be. He told us, this is the greatest commandment that you've read, even in the Old Testament. You are to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Total commitment is what he taught us. But what was the price? That price has been alluded to already and talked about already this morning. That sacrifice which he was willing to make. All of his teachings, all of his miracles resulted in him being summoned before the chief high priests, the council brought in accusations made about him, saying things that he didn't say, trying to twist his words, as they had done all the time during his ministry, trying to twist his words and catch him in a lie that they could prove uh, that he couldn't possibly be the Son of God, couldn't possibly be the Messiah that, that was to come, that they were looking for. But he remained quiet through all of his accusations, through Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate. Even as was mentioned this morning by Jim in talking about the Lord's Supper, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was worried about what he was going to face. The human side, we see his human side. He was concerned 
about what he was to face. Yet, he was willing to do it. Why? Because he loved us. He loved you and he loved me. He wanted to be, and especially for us as Gentiles, he wanted us to be able to have a relationship with God. The most important relationship that we can have, because it's an eternal relationship, is that with our, with our God in heaven. A relationship, again, that we should work on and look at every day of our lives, following the pattern, adjusting our lives uh, to fit that pattern. Because we miss the mark, as mentioned a few minutes ago. We miss that mark. So we have to actively be adjusting, actively being uh, adjusting to bring our lives in line. But he said there to his heavenly father, not my will, but thine. He was taking on the task. He was taking on the stress that was coming his way and the pain and the anguish. Sometimes it's very easy to say Jesus died for me. And write it off and picture it as, 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 as he just sacrificed for me and he died. But when the picture is painted of how he died, that has to make an imprint on my heart that I carry with me each moment of my life. My Redeemer was willing to be beaten, spit upon, blindfolded, cursed at, and made fun of, not for anything he did, but for what I did. When time came for him to be beaten and scourged by the Roman soldiers, there was no other or very few other forms of, of torture, forms of execution that could rival his execution as far as just being cruel and unusual. As the Roman soldiers beat him, the goal of that soldier was to beat him, tear his flesh, rip him as, up as much as he can, but not kill him. That was the purpose. Many people who, who saw the movies in recent years of the depiction of the lie, the death of Jesus, came away going, no way, that's, that's an exaggeration. But when you study through history and you read accounts, it was true. Jesus was beaten to a bloody pulp. And yet, the worst was yet to come. Why did he do it? He did it for you and for me. He was going to redeem our souls. 
He goes out to Calvary. Needs help carrying his cross. When he gets there, they nail his hands to that cross. Not just little nails we deal, deal with. Spikes were driven to attach him to that cross. His feet were nailed and attached to that cross. Now remember, he's laying there, as, 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 as we're told through history, he would be laying there on the ground against this old wooden cross. Not hewn smooth, but he would have all kinds of splinters and, and, and loose fragments. And think of the condition that his back was in. Beaten to a bloody pulp. He's laid on that cross. He's nailed to it. Now they've got to put him up. So they raise him up. Move it toward the hole. And they drop him into that hole. The sheer force of that drop will tear the flesh in his hands, will tear the flesh in his feet, will take his breath away. Why did he do it? Why did my Savior come to earth? For you and for me. He's on that cross in great agony. In order to breathe, the prisoner had to use his feet, which were nailed to the cross, to push himself up so as to, to get the diaphragm up so that he could breathe. He's there in pain, anguish. What does he have to say? Father, Forgive them. They know not what they do. In a moment of agony and pain, who was he thinking about? Himself? No. He was thinking about you and me. We finally see him die on that cross. We see as the soldiers come, and, and, and because it was a day of preparation, the, the, the Jews ask that the process be hurried up. I have read that sometimes people were able to survive for, for, for a couple of days nailed to the cross. But they needed it hurried up. So they said, go break their legs. If they broke their legs, they wouldn't be able to use them to push up. They wouldn't be able to breathe. Would hasten their death. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. But I picture, my thought, my personal thought is, for the sake of proof that he was dead, that soldier stuck that spear in his side and out came blood and water.
that was our Savior hanging on that cross. That's the reason why that we can gather today as Christians that we have the promises because he hung on the cross. But you know, one more thing had to be accomplished because if Jesus had just died there on that cross, we wouldn't have the blessings that we have now. We're told he was put in a tomb. The stone was rolled over the tomb. And because it was the day of preparation, they didn't spend a lot of time preparing the body, as would normally have. And he's in that tomb, but it had already been prophesied that on the third day, and he tried to tell his apostles, and, and uh, they probably were like many of us, don't always listen to what we're told. But he told that he had to suffer, he had to die. The prophecy was that he would raise on the third day. Can you picture for a few moments, think for a few moments, the thoughts going through the apostles, the thoughts going through the women that, that were so close to him. The, the thoughts of loss. This was going to be their ruler, the Christ, the Messiah. They misunderstood. They thought of a physical leader. Probably devastated at a loss. They'd given up their lives, many of them. Their livelihoods to follow Jesus, to be with him during his ministry. Now he was gone. But the great thing happened. On that third day, God raised his son from the dead. Remember back in Genesis 3.15 where it says that, that, that he was going to bruise Satan's head. Jesus was going to have victory over death. He was going to give us the opportunity to have victory over death. And we see the awe and the excitement as Mary Magdalene and the others go to the graveside, as, as Peter runs and looks in to see. And it's an empty tomb. There's nobody there. And the angel says, He has, a, he has risen. He's not here, He's alive again. God raised him. God raised him after him going through such agony again for you and for me. He visits, of course, with, with, with his apostles and talks to them about things. We're told that, that many, many people saw him. Again, witnesses that we can base our faith on through the inspired scriptures. Uh, one case was that, that there was a group of over 500 that saw him. You know, there is no problem with knowing that Jesus Christ lived as a man. All kinds of history, all kinds of effects on modern civilization... 
all the major religions of the world hold him for the most part as a prophet. Even Islam holds Jesus as a prophet, a good man, not the son of God, but a prophet, a good man, a tremendous impact that he, that he made on the world and the lives of his apostles who would then go out and, and, and spread that message spread that message of love spread that message of concern from for, from God and from Jesus for every single soul the scriptures tell us that God's will is that not a single person is lost we know from mankind's attitudes and actions, that that's not possible. But we do know that, that that salvation is offered there based on Christ's willingness to suffer. And, and, and for just a second, look at the other side. What a predicament God was in as he saw his son hang on that cross going through what he was going through taking the sins of the world upon himself oh what agony he suffered all because of you and me Jesus shared a promise. God's promise, a covenant, a conditional covenant with you and I. And that promise was that he was returning to heaven to be on the right hand of God. To intercede for us on our behalf a soul that was tested just like us. A soul that was perfect and was able to resist the temptations. He told us of a promise that there's a home prepared for us. A home where we can go one day if we follow his commandments. If we work to be the best type of person we can be, to adhere to, adhere to his, com to his uh, commandments, to walk in the light and, and receive that forgiveness. Revelations paints for us a picture, two pictures really, uh, of the last, uh, of the end. The first at the end of chapter 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to what he had done. 
the writer there goes on to say what the punishment was going to be for those that did not strive to follow Jesus. When we drop down into to chapter 21, the first few verses, is going to paint a description for us of what the reward is going to be. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Oh, what a promise that we have because our Savior, our Redeemer was willing to die for us, was willing to be hung on that cross and is now in, in heaven. What a promise we have. What a great thought to base our faith on. Now, what about us as far as our daily activities are concerned? I started practicing a couple of years ago in my own daily devotional to ask myself a question. And that question was, is my heart right with God? I had learned in my old age and experience that you, you get off the mark. That you can go astray and you've got to have something to bring yourself back. And it's our faith that brings us back. It's that measuring stick. Is your heart right with God? I encourage you to ask yourself that same question as you live your life here on this earth. As you adjust to keep your sights on the reward, to keep your sights on what Jesus did for you. Satan will do everything he can to separate us from God. He wants us to go spend eternity with him. We have the opportunity to spend eternity with a God that loves us beyond our comprehension. This morning, Satan may be putting heavy burdens on you. You may be going through, through rough times on the job, in the family, the home, rough times. I implore you as a Christian to put your trust and faith in God. Share that burden with him. Share that burden with Jesus who's going to intercede for you with God. As a Christian, 
Maybe for some reason you've separated from God. Your life has led you in another direction. I implore you to search your heart, examine yourself. And if needs be, come. The elders will be here to pray for you if you need to to return to your God. No one will be happier than our Heavenly Father if you return. If you're here this morning and you've never shared a relationship with God, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, now's the time to do it. Now's the opportunity. We're not promised anything as far as this life is concerned and length of it. So it's very important when that opportunity to arrive, arrive come that, that, that we, we have that faith that we repent of those sins, that we confess our belief in Jesus Christ and we're baptized into eternal life and for eternal life. I pray that we'll each examine our hearts, that we'll each take with us this morning the scenes that I've painted for you this morning to strengthen your faith and to help you on your way.